Hello, hello, dear friends, and welcome back to the Today is the Day podcast for our mini episode season. In this season, we're taking short clips from our longer episodes to give you deliciously digestible doses that you can apply in your life. I'm Megan Teltner, two-time best-selling author and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. And the person who joins me for this episode, as with all episodes, is Josh Gatalis, functional medicine practitioner, and my husband. Now, before we get into this info-packed little mini episode, I wanted to invite you to check out the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. Now, if you haven't heard, registration is open for this 14-week life-transforming immersive experience. We run the program starting in September and everyone goes through it together. We have an over 90% successful completion rate and I think you should be part of it. Head on over to culinarynutrition.com dot com forward slash program to learn more. And now here is today's mini episode all about all, well, not even all, a whole bunch of diets available to choose from, the philosophies that go with them, and why all of them, none of them, any of them might just be the right one for you. We explain more in this little clip. There's lots of diets out there. They work for some people. They don't work for others. But we have to find something that's right for us. Yes. And so you go and you look at, you know, I want to feel better. And you go and you look and you see this list of books and you know someone who's done them or maybe you've seen it on Instagram or something. You follow an influencer in quotes. So how is it that so many people can be having so much benefit from such a variety of different And I will call them because in a lot of the cases, these are quite extreme diets. Mm -hmm. Well, before I actually get into the benefit, I just want to mention something quickly that I have a lot of clients that come in and are just so confused about what to eat because there's so much information out there. Like back in the day, there wasn't as much information out there. There was like the diet of of the time. But now there's so much going on and there's so much access to this information that people are having trouble choosing between a whole bunch of seemingly healthy diets. And that's why we're doing this episode. Exactly. And just another thing to preempt this is that I could choose any food, you know, you name it, and I can give you a reason why it might be unhealthy. Right. So that gets... For a specific person. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, we are all biochemically different. We all have a different chemical soup in our body. We all need different things. We thrive on different inputs that you know, give us optimal health. We see this around the world. The human is incredibly adaptable. We have humans living in the far north here in Canada. We have the Inuit that are consuming muktuk and blubber and seal and bear in their indigenous diet. Unfortunately, it's kind of moved from there a little bit, but that's another story for another day. We have the Nenets that live in northern Arctic Russia, which eat reindeer meat, which is both raw and frozen, and they even drink blood and consume blood. Uh, They also consume fish, salmon, and cranberries in a short part of the season when they come up. And then we have the Maasai that live, you know, in hot East Africa, and they're consuming, while their indigenous diet is raw milk and raw meat and raw blood and raw butter, 
which is actually a really important infant food. And only recently, they've kind of moved more towards farming. But again, another discussion for another day. So we have people all over the world thriving on their indigenous diet. Right. And what we've also seen, and a lot of this is done with the research with Weston A. Price, is that when indigenous cultures move away from their diet, they have extremely high rates of disease and diabetes is something that's become a huge problem amongst First Nations in Canada, as well as the Aboriginal communities in Australia. So one of the challenges we're left with is for a lot of us living in sort of westernized or industrialized societies, we don't have an indigenous diet. We don't know what to eat. And that's what's fed into this rise of such a massive array of dietary protocols. So let's have a quick look at some of the more popular ones. The raw diet is just that. You're basically eating, in most cases, it's completely raw plant-based foods. I think there are some sort of sects of that who will eat the raw meats. Then we have vegan, which is also considered more of a lifestyle choice. So nothing derived from animals in their life, and that might include a wool sweater or beeswax in their lip balm. Then there's vegetarian, which is a high plant-based diet, but could also include some fish in some cases or some eggs or some dairy. And I should mention that just because it carries the label of vegan or vegetarian, and we talked about this, like French fries can be vegan. There's these processed meat burgers, quote, meat burgers, fake meat burgers that are vegan, but incredibly processed and just a junk food. Then we have the whole food plant-based. Some people just refer to it as WFPB, which is a, I think of as a bit of a healthier version than the typical standard vegan, which could include processed food. So the whole food plant-based is unprocessed, but vegan diet. In In most cases, some people have whole food plant-based, and then incorporate small amounts of animal-derived foods. We've got the lectin-free diet we talked about. There's paleo, where it's very, very low on grains and starchy carbohydrates, beans, some of some of the starchier vegetables, and then much higher on animal-derived foods, and then the non-starchy vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, greens, that kind of thing. And then finally, at the end of the spectrum, We've got the keto. So the ketogenic diet, which is now shifting your body into using fat as the primary fuel source. So it's very, very low in carbohydrates, moderate amounts of protein. And these are all, all the rage. Like, so I don't feel like there's, I I think there is a shift more towards a more paleo style of eating than we've seen, say, 10 years ago when vegan was more popular and more widely adopted and used. And it's just interesting to watch from the outside while also being a nutritionist is seeing the shift in mainstream culture and the questions we're asked in the diets that people are coming to us knowing about already. And so the real question is, how is it possible that all of these diets are the right diet? And what can we do about it? How do we determine what we should be eating? Right. What's interesting is if you look at a bell curve of the population, there's, you know, most people fall in the middle and then we have the outliers on either side. So, you know, we get these diets coming into our world. You know, you get an author writing about a specific diet for whatever reason. Each one has their own story. And then lots of people buy the book and lots of people try the diet. And what I've found is that you might get about 10% of people that 
do really well on the diet. Like, you know, it's life-changing for them. It's so life-changing that they want to write about it and give testimonials and write to the author, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have about 10% that may actually do worse on the diet. But then we have about 80% in the middle on many of these diets that maybe see a little bit of benefit, maybe they feel a little bit better. Like the, the changes aren't that dramatic. Now, Megan, who do you think the authors hear from the most and post about the most? Well, as an author, you're going to hear from both of those 10% groups. You're going to hear from people who get really poor results, although I didn't because I don't have an extreme diet. But you do hear and you obviously want to cherish the ones that have those extreme successes and that that is who you will highlight. Exactly. And that's not necessarily the fault of the author. Like I think they're just doing their job saying, hey, this is the diet I recommend and it's doing really well for a lot of people. But it filters a lot of the information to those of you out there that might not be nutritionists or working in the healthcare sector and understand how to properly evaluate these diets. Here's the thing that we all have to know, and this is going to simplify everything right now. If you are eating the standard American diet and then suddenly switch to a raw diet, a vegan diet, a vegetarian diet, a whole foods, plant-based diet, lectin-free, paleo, keto, whatever else is out there. And in following that in a healthful way, you are going to be eliminating processed foods or just shifting your body's usual fuel source, you will feel better. If you get rid of the fast food and the junk that lines the aisles of the supermarket, no matter which dietary protocol you choose, you're going to feel a difference. And that's why primarily when people shift to any of these diets from a standard way of eating, or even if you've been vegan for a long time and then you shift to paleo, or if you've been paleo a long time and you want to shift to maybe a raw diet for the summer, you might feel a dramatic change in how you feel. And most cases, and oftentimes, I guess I shouldn't say most cases, often you feel a positive shift because you're just changing things up. There can be a time where you actually feel more sluggish or, or you don't get that positive uplift. However, you're getting rid of the processed foods. And if you're reading one of these dietary plans, oftentimes, especially in the natural or functional nutrition or culinary nutrition world, they're also going to be stressing organic. So now you're getting rid of processed foods and a ton of chemical intake. That's why all of these diets are effective. Now, just because they're effective today, they may not be effective for you forever. Now, I can use myself as a prime example. I had a whole foods diet when I was healing from Crohn's. I switched to more of a vegan diet around nutrition school, and then it was no longer serving me. I felt great for a long time. Everything was working well in my body, and then slowly things started to break down. I was carrying extra weight. I got a bunch of cavities in my teeth, and that was when I transitioned to introducing meat foods or animal-based foods back into the diet. So what's really, really important to remember is that these diets that heal you, the diet that makes you feel amazing may not be the diet that sustains you ongoing for the rest of your life because we're always changing. Absolutely. And just to give a good example of that, like imagine a female who's 18 to 25 years old and they're an athlete, you know, their diet's going to look one way. And then they move into like their thirties, for example, and maybe they have a child and now they're pregnant and their diet's going to look very different in that situation. And then they're lactating, right? They're breastfeeding. And now they're kind of, they 
people say it's eating for two, but it's about eating for 1.3 because you don't need double the calories. You need about 1.3 of the calories. So now they're eating a little bit different for lactation. And then they're, you know, maybe experiencing a, a time in their life where they're at a desk cubicle all, all day. They used to be an athlete. Now they're at a desk cubicle working the nine to five and their diet's going to need to change a little bit there, you know, a little bit less calories, less carbs, not as much of that fast burning fuel. And then maybe they move into menopause and now this is a whole other can of worms. You know, maybe they want to consume a little bit more of those phytoestrogens or, you know, maybe they want to reduce their caloric intake a little bit, you know? So it's stuff that's always evolving and we constantly have to regroup and figure out, you know, what we need for today. I think I've heard you say in one of your lectures that if our diet didn't evolve, we'd all still be breastfeeding. <laughs> that's really smart. You, did you forget you used to say that? Yeah, I'll have to use that one again. But it's true. It so true. that diet needs to continue to evolve. When people tattoo their dietary choice onto their body, oh, you're, you're just setting yourself up for a challenge. And what's crazy is that when it's really hard when you're in the public domain advocating for a certain diet and suddenly you realize it's no longer serving you and you've written books about it. And this has happened where you suddenly have to basically have a coming out saying, I no longer eat this way and this is why. And there's also a lot of people in the health field who are no longer eating the way that they continue to advocate because their livelihood depends on it. And what you really need to do, everyone who's listening, is tune in to your own health and well-being. And this is something that I advocate for in, in my work in Undiet, as well as with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, that every diet, every dietary philosophy, every value is welcome. We are inclusive of everyone. And then my objective is to educate on how you determine the best diet for yourself at that stage in your life and also to help guide others because it will forever change. And the greatest harm to our planet to our mental, emotional well-being, to the happiness of a family, to a community, is a human being out of balance. And that is why we strive to continuously evolve our diet so that we can maintain our optimal health and fulfill on our optimal potential. And that means that you cannot be too attached to the dietary label that you give yourself during a certain stage of your life. Thank you for listening. Before I go, I want you to meet one of our amazing culinary nutrition expert graduates. See, I can tell you how great this program is, but it's always better when it comes directly from them. So have a listen. I am Lori Moore, and I'm a 2018 graduate of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. I first discovered this program while I was studying to be a holistic nutrition consultant, and I knew that the CNE program would be a perfect complement to holistic nutrition. In fact, I would recommend this program to anyone who has studied holistic nutrition and isn't sure what to do next and how to apply the knowledge you've gained. The CNE program is so practical with recipe assignments each week that help to build confidence in the kitchen and the skills to adapt and create recipes for yourself and for others, whether it's your family or your clients. Megan has designed an amazing program and her infectious energy each week leaves you always wanting more, exactly what you want in an instructor. The CNE program enabled me to fulfill a lifelong passion of supporting others in their journey to better health and discovering what nourishes them. Thanks to the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program, I have the applied knowledge to be able to create healthy recipes and meal plans and to educate others in fun culinary nutrition classes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining. We'll be back again next week with another mini episode. In the meantime, you know what you gotta do. 
head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to learn more about our inspired, life-changing, health-transforming culinary nutrition expert program. This just might be your first step to launching the career of your dreams. Thanks for listening and have a great day.